Cubiños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás, Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemifrin y Cubillas y el gran Pericoleón Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo, joined by a litany of panelists, some old, some new, in fact, uh, or I guess old and new in, in some ways. More on that in a bit. Uh, first, we have Renato Vilches with us as always. Renato, how are you doing? I'm happy to be done with college second year, finally. Now that it's over, we're back to what I like doing, just talk about some Peruvian football. Indeed. And also, as usual, Kevin Montalvan is with us, but in Cusco this time. Uh, somewhat randomly, but if, to those of you who know Kevin, not at all randomly. Kevin, how are you doing? How, how's life over there so far? Um, I'm doing all right. Things are, are better than, than I heard. So that that's a positive note for me. And some very unexpected results in Libertadores for, for us to talk about today. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yes, it's the House of Positivity this week for once. Uh, but before we dive into that, speaking of positives, um, welcome back, Christopher Viscardo. Christopher, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Just happy to be back. I've had a long, long year at uh, you know law school. I got a little, little bit involved in Peruvian politics too in the last few months, and you know I'm just ready to let all of that go and uh, just talk a little bit about the soccer games, the very interesting results for Peruvian teams and, and Libertadores, like uh, like Kevin just said. And also some, you know, that intersection of uh, soccer and politics that I it seems like I cannot escape. So, uh, you know, we get to talk about that a little bit too. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm just going to cross out the political section we had on the show just for your sake. You just can't escape it. I'm so sorry it is. Um, but we'll we'll uh, wait a little bit until we get into that just to give you a little bit of a break here. Um, we'll start first with national team matters because uh, Ricardo Gareca is going to unveil his Peru squad on Friday afternoon around 1 o'clock Eastern time, noon local time in Lima. Uh, you may have already heard and or seen the squad by the time you've listened to us listeners. But uh, that being said, we do have some certainties on who will and won't be there. For example, Jefferson Farfan will miss out due to some knee complications, but Paolo Guerrero will be called up for qualifying and Copa America from the looks of it. Doctors have given him the okay for both tournaments, so it looks like the captain will be back very, very soon. With this in mind, just getting this out of the way, because given Paolo's age and the long injury layoff, he has had some games since his return from injury, but uh, just going around the table, starting with Renato, um, do you think Paolo has done enough or has enough in him to start most or all of Peru's games over the next month and a bit? Well, I can't say he's done enough because, I mean... We're gonna be come. We're gonna be dealing with Paolo, who is comes with lit, like absolutely zero any match fitness, and who knows if he's gonna have more physical problems due to his age. But personally, I think we should use Paolo in those cases that we need to really, really win. Like you, can expect him to start in the qualifiers against Colombia, and I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think the next game is against Ecuador. I believe yes, should be. Yes, yeah. Those, I believe, those Paolo will certainly get like chances of playing. But Copa de América, I say just like reserve him until we really, really, really need him when it's like a must-win moment. Because as given his physical problems, we're not going to be with him forever, unfortunately. And at thirty-seven, the time's coming up for him. We need to try to give some We need to give opportunities to Armenio, Lapadulo, whoever's up next, or even Valera. Indeed, Kevin. What do you think the plan is going to be with Paolo? Maybe just start him in those qualifiers and then just maybe play him in the must-win situations at Copa America and, and give the other strikers an opportunity? Or do you see him starting most of the games? Honestly, if you had asked me before, I'd have thought that you know he might make it with some match fitness and he would have a solid shout. But with all the Inter drama that, that he's had at, uh, in Brazil, I feel like he'll be coming to this with with very very little match fitness, and I wouldn't risk him for it. I I think his legacy is great for us, so I I would rather 
see La Padula, who has, has started for us uh, recently, is in good form right now. He's scoring. I think he has he has something to prove right now. Um, so I would prefer him to start. Fair enough. Um, Viz, where do you stand on this? Well, I, I think I would prefer La Padula uh, or Ormeño or La Padula and Ormeño. I think there's a scenario where La Padula plays kind of a Guerrero role and Ormeño plays kind of that second fiddle uh, role that we can, we've seen Farfan or Carrillo play at times. Uh, to me, those two are the future of the national team, at least for now. You know, uh, I think regardless, though, I think that Paolo can be that super sub. When you are, I don't know, 1-0 down at the 70th minute, you bring Paolo in there, the, the, the team that you're going against is going gonna, gonna to really think about, you know, what's happening, right? It's, it's going to make him – I think it's going to make him shake a little bit. If you bring in Paolo at the 70th minute, they're going to have to think about what Paolo can bring to the table. And I, I think that that's a good card that we can play, and that's a good way that we can still utilize him uh, for our benefit, but do it in a, in a strategic fashion that does not uh, make things you know, more complicated for him. It's just such a temptation to have Paolo considering that we are so close to some, you know, he's so close to, to breaking, you know, so many records right. in in South America, in Copa America, you know, competitions, really. So I, I see how it's very tempting to, to have Paolo on the squad. And, and also, um, when it comes to the medical team that works with the national team, you know, those guys are, are known for, for, for being, you know, miracle workers. Uh, just two quick examples, Farfan, Playing against Brazil, somehow managed to play what seven minutes in pretty decent shape, or you know Mudo Rodriguez in some of those games where he hadn't played for months, but somehow still managed to be uh, pretty fit for the 2018 qualifying campaign when it came to play with the national team. So I trusted that that Gareca's uh, medical team might be able to to get Paolo in shape enough. To so that he can so that he can actually strike some fear into into our our opponents. In terms of Paolo's minutes since returning from injury, he's obviously been off for about a month after complications arose uh, with his injury. But uh, he made five appearances, had about 190 minutes in those five appearances uh, following his return. Uh, so he has some rust shaken off, but obviously then being off for yet another month, and I guess at this point it would be six weeks by the time uh, he would start against Colombia, it's less than ideal for someone who is 37 coming off a serious knock like that. So I guess the good news is, is that, as we have discussed, Peru does have options at striker, finally, which, you know, even a few months ago was not the case. Um, so for Deca, that is the good news. And if you look at the opposite end of the pitch, Gareca has options at centre-back. And one of the burning questions, along with who will start up front and what formation Gareca might go for in both of these games, which we'll discuss in a bit, is who the centre-back pairing will be. Obviously, there are probably four or five strong candidates, but if it was up to you guys, what centre-back pairing would you want to see? Viz, I'll start with you. I think I'm going to go with the classic Zambrano uh, and, uh, and Abram, probably. I think that regardless of everything that's happened with Zambrano, uh, I still think that, that he is probably someone that's had a lot, of, uh, a lot of minutes in their team, a lot of continuity. It seems like the coach still has trusts him, even though you know the fans and, and others have criticized his work. And uh, just as usual, just give Sambrano the the old, you know, uh, you know. Somehow, somehow, we need to like tape his elbows or something. But uh, other than that, I, I still, I still trust uh, those two to 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 kind of be the the first two options in in Gareca's uh, starting eleven. All right. Well, Renato, what what do you think? What center back pairing would you like to see for either or both of these games? Honestly, it's kind of a bit of a hard one. I mean, 
first with Lu- like the left side. I mean, Luisa Brum, Tugareka, he would always be the undisputed. But we also, ha- I have to admit that Luisa Brum hasn't been on the best of form recently. I mean, so Velez Sarsfield fans consider him to be one of the worst players at this point, which is a shame. I mean, granted, you could possibly talk about how his contract situation has crossed, like, has been interrupting his form, but who knows? Maybe with the national team, things will be different. But as for his partner, I mean, with Zambrano, it's like you're taking a mega risk for someone who can be a bit unreliable when dealing with intense pressure and not controlling himself, and that can really harm us. You can always give Miguel Araujo another shot, but both of him and Abram as a pair have shown that they don't really work together. Well, and like that also brings us some heavy defeats. But I was maybe even thinking give under Santa Maria a chance for once. He's been on great form for Atlas. He show he did show that he could work with Abram in the Argentina game. Granted, maybe Santa Maria wasn't on the best form, but then you had to also take account that he also came back from a major injury at the time. Now he's playing regularly, so I would go with Anderson Santa Maria, Luis Abram. But for Copa América, I wonder if I wonder if maybe Gareca will give will do something special for once. Maybe give a new opportunity to a defender who doesn't get much opportunities. If he calls someone like Renzo Garces, maybe he can get an opportunity. That would be a great that would be, that would be something great for us in getting us more depth in the center backs. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be some experimentation come Copa America time. Just really, if only to give some of the starters a bit of a rest after, for some at least, what's been a very long uh, pandemic-induced season. Uh, Kevin, what, what center back pairing would you like to see for either or both of these games? Like whether it's the same one or two different ones. Going into, into the, the Columbia match, I personally wouldn't mind seeing uh, Araujo and Santa Maria. Uh, Santa Maria's played on the left side for us before when he was first starting because he would come in for El Mudo and he'd play alongside Ramos. He has decent distribution. He's uh, pretty solid in the air. He's been very solid for us when when I saw him on the left side, so I don't have any complaints there. And I think Araujo has been in the best form of all our our defenders at the moment. So I I, I can't bench him. <laughs> I I I would really like to see this pairing, see how it how it lines up. I don't know if they've actually played together before, but I feel like it it could click. Given given enough time, yeah, it's possible. Um, I, I mean, just based on form alone, you probably give it to those two. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a dilemma because on one hand, Abram has been the go-to on the left side, and then on the right side, it's kind of changed a little bit. But Sambrano's locked that down. But with him being suspended for one of these games, it's going to kind of throw this into into disarray. I, I do wonder if maybe. With Araujo hitting form and and uh, you know coming off of what's been, even though it ended poorly, we'll get into Emmons' um, relegation playoff later. But with him as as a as a player finishing the season strongly, you wonder if that might change the dynamic a bit. But these are must-win games, and you maybe go with just the hot hand really, and that could be those two, Santa Maria and Araujo. In terms of the formation that Gareca might go with. Kevin, I know you're a proponent of 4-3-3, but could you see Gareca going for his usual 4-2-3-1, say against Colombia, and then leaving the 4-3-3 for the altitude where the midfield would have to cover a lot of ground? Well, it, it, it's an interesting match because we don't really know what to expect from Colombia. It's uh, their first match under a new coach. I think I think we saw a preliminary list, but I'm not sure if that was for Copa America. But that list that I did saw was a little bit different. So I feel like like the coach might be considering new players, might be different tactics. So Gareca might just have to play to his strengths, which in the past was the four two three one, and I see a, a strong possibility of doing that at home. Yeah, probably agree with you there. Um, Renato, what formations do you see, or formation, if Gareca only uses one, do you see him using for these games? 
Because like what Kevin said, I mean, this Colombian national team is going through a transition now that they have a new now that they have a new coach. And knowing Gareca, I think he will might want to use that to the advance his advantage. I believe that he should go what he knows best and go with that four two three four three one formation. Since like we want to get the players to know the formation at their best, also to get the best out of informed players like Christian Cueva, especially. So I could see us going with that formation. So I believe I have faith on Gareco for what he'll pick. Uh, Biz, what about you? What formation could you see, or again, formations could you see Gareco going with? Well, I think it all depends on who we have on the bench. It depends on. I think a lot of it depends on Paolo Guerrero too, and the formations do have a lot to do with the opponent. We've seen the four-three-three in that one legendary match against Brazil right after the Copa America. Uh, we've seen it a few times since then, and it's developed enough that it's an option. But I think right now we need to focus most not so much on what what's the yeah, formation we will have against our opponents but what formation can we build based on who we have on the bench and like i said i think if you have la padula or if you have ormeño if you have if you can play in both even which i know that is a little bit daring then you could see the whole uh formation kind of uh being built around them uh but then again you know i i am you know like dreaming of something that's probably not going to happen Gareca likes to play it safe. So, uh, yeah, I, get, I think I'm going to have to agree in the end that the 4-2-3-1 is probably uh, more than likely what we will see uh, from, from Gareca. Especially given that it is a must-win game. At least one of these are must-win. You would probably say four points minimum is what they need. Uh, anything less than that, and then Peru might be in a bit of trouble, um, but we shall see what happens. We'll preview these games in depth uh, closer to kickoff probably next week and potentially the week prior uh, as we may be trying to get some guests on to help us break down the opposition side of things. Uh, moving over to Copa Libertadores, a pair of very strong results, one of which very shocking for Peruvian clubs this week. We'll start with Sporting Cristal, uh, who won 2-0 against Rentistas. They got a massive win in the Sudamericana chase. They now lead Rentistas by a point in Group E with one match remaining. The goals were scored by Alejandro Holberg and Martin Tavara. More on him in a bit. Uh, this was the first time, though, that we saw Gianfranco Chavez starting in the Libertadores. Um, how much of a difference did that make, Ren Renato? And... Do you think this is the best back four that Cristal has at its disposal? Oh, it made such a huge difference. Now, I will admit at first, Gianfranco Chavez looked a bit lost in the first beginnings of the game, especially with giving a bad pass that nearly resulted in Aretisa's goal. But following that, he woke up and knew that that he's a wall in the Cristal's offense. And we saw the Gianfranco Chavez of last year finally showing himself in the Libertadores. And I could tell you that he's been missed quite a lot since after he got injured, unfortunately, earlier in the season. I say he provided a lot of security than Alejandro Gonzalez. As for the back four, I mean, back four between the Valora, Chavez, Merlo, and Loyola is possibly the best you can get at this point. With Cristal, especially with Lola rising and stepping up now that Madrid's out on form. I also will say this. I was happy to see that Cristal played with a quote-unquote nine finally with Avila, who is really, who's shown that he could be capable of playing that role, and it looked like it paid off, especially with Corozo, like trying to feed Avila. And speaking of Corozo, I really like that, that creative play he did for the first goal. For Hoy to get to give to Hoiberg, who scored a wonderful golazo, and also another credit to Avila, who assisted Martin Tavara, possibly one of the best Peruvian prospects right now, currently with a banger goal, which from his magical left foot, that that it was just beautiful to watch. I mean, it just feels great to see that Cristal actually was on point and showed what 
how they can bring their legal one form to Libertadores. There were some stuff that could have been approved, of course, but I mean, from a perspective of a fan, I think this is the best that they could have gotten. I think it just shows you that there's still hope for them to get a Sudamericana spot. Uh, well, Kevin, Renato mentioned it there, but how much of a difference do you think it made having Irvin Avila leading the line, j- just for the overall chemistry and, and fluidity of the attack? Avila, like, like I said I, in the beginning of the season, is, is trying to become a, a a legend for Cristal. I think he's almost the top goal scorer. So he, he's coming into this knowing he has something to prove, knowing that Mosquera has a lot of faith in him. And I personally think in the beginning of, of Fase Uno for the league, he was Cristal's best player. So I think that he is a very unselfish striker, uh, willing to to get out of the box to try to put someone in out, someone else on goal. And I think we saw that it it was a big difference from what we would have expected from, uh, let's say, Riquelme or Lisa. Totally fair. Um, Viz, when you look at Martin Tavara having performances like this, um, it it becomes difficult to come up with new superlatives to describe his performances. Um, You know, obviously you haven't been on the show for a while, so you haven't maybe had a chance to wax poetic about him like we have, but just your overall thoughts on Tavara's play on on this big of a stage. Like, I mean, his, his value keeps going up by the game yeah for sure for sure yeah i've uh have to be honest i haven't followed the campaign as closely uh but uh i can say that he seems to be someone that's really stood out and i think that you know with with all talent just gotta be patient uh not make sure not to exert too much pressure on him and his performances uh we unfortunately saw some very terrible comments from Alianza fans a few weeks ago regarding other players, you know, and I think that's what happens when the expectations, uh, the hype, you know, gets built too much. Uh, and then we end up kind of unloading all of our stress and displeasure with a team on a player. So as much uh, as well as he is doing, and, and honestly, this this last game, I would say he was probably the best on the pitch for Cristal. Uh, from what I was able to observe, he's uh, let's let's just have a little patience and uh, let's see let's see where uh, where this goes. You know, I think Cristal uh, obviously won a very important game, but let's also remember still. Let's put it into context that. They're still eliminated from the tournament, and now they're fighting to, to get into Sudamericana. And you know, and this is the team that represents, you know, this team is the Peruvian champion, and their coach is the best coach there is in Peru right now, probably. Uh, and so, like I said, let's put it into context, and let's not, let's not get our our knickers in a knot, like uh, they would say in England. Well, pretty well said. Um, maybe as we look at the final match day, they obviously do have a chance to get into Sudamericana. Cristal take on Sao Paulo while Rentistas have Racing on the final day. Going around the table, starting with Viz, do you think Cristal will get that Sudamericana place in the group? This is where where the Yoda of Peruvian soccer, <laughs> you know, the man, the legend, needs to really, really show his talent. Uh, you know, I think uh, he likes to talk, talk the talk, and this is time to uh, walk the walk. So uh, we'll see how we'll see how it works. But uh, you know, whether well, it, it is it is tough. It's not going to be an easy match, but I think that it is not impossible. And from what I saw in the, during the last match, uh, I think that they probably have to tweak things here and there but uh it should be within their reach you know even if they can if even if they can get one point uh that could really really help them out uh depending on obviously what happens uh with the other uh members of the group but uh they have i think they that cristal has real possibilities of of uh going through to sudamericana Kevin, what, what do you think? Do you think Cristal will eventually get the Sudamericana place, or is it maybe a bit 
too tall of a task. I think if if Cristal needed to win in Brazil against Sao Paulo, the task would probably be unattainable. But I think they can try to force a draw to to keep their lead on, on Rentistas and don't really see the Rentista side beating Racing. So I, I think that would be more than enough to get them, to secure them the Sudamericana spot. All right. And Renato, our resident Sporting Cristal fan, what, what do you think? Are they going to do it or are they going to come up short? Nothing's impossible. I mean, I will say this. The Sporting Cristal's quote-unquote advantage, Sao Paulo will be playing against Palmeiras in this Sunday as I'm reco- as we're recording this in the Sao Paulo State League final. And I know that that Sao Paulo are taking more priority to that than the possibly the Cristal match because they're already in the round of 16 of Libertadores. So I've been hearing that Hernan Crespo could be putting out an alternative, a very alternative team against Cristal, knowing that knowing that they're already qualified. But even then I do think Cristal are gonna have a point a point to prove and they're gonna have to give it their all and try the best to get those three points. And it's nothing is impossible. You can always there could always be a surprise out of nowhere, so you can always just have to wait and see. Very true. Speaking of Sudamericana and, and teams fighting for it, somehow, some way, Universitario is suddenly in the hunt after defeating Independiente del Valle three to two. Uh, Alex Valera had a brace, and then Nalino Quina scored the winner, the eventual winner for Lau, which puts them level with. Independiente on four points, uh, but the Ecuadorians do occupy third place just by virtue of their goal difference and pretty much every other tiebreaker. But if we focus on the match in general, Lau started very slowly and then Independiente could have been 3-0 up within about 20 minutes. Uh, But what has changed or what did change tactically that allowed Universitario to pull off this win? Kevin, what, what do you think happened here? Honestly, it uh, is definitely taking me as, as a surprise how Lau has done in this Libertadores. Uh, I've kept underestimating them, and uh, I guess that's where to advantage. So I won't, I won't, uh, I won't change that going going forward. But Comiso definitely changed up the lineup. You know, he was forced to in in, in a lot of instances. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Valera over Gutierrez. Uh, I think Uruti had had taken an in a knock. Um, Santian has disappeared off the face of the earth. So I, I think he's decided to to become more more stingy, more stingy in the game. You know, five at the back, three DMs. Uh, well, Murugara got injured, so he ended up putting Guarderas, who's uh, passing range is a little bit higher. But you really had players show up, like, like Quintero, who I personally didn't think had been doing a lot low lately, but he was probably the man of the match, the most dangerous player for Lau and, and Valera. Man, he, he played like he had something to prove. Um, I thought Lau was dead when, when they got scored on like the first 10 minutes, but they, they managed to, you know, to find a quick counter and Valera mopped up exactly as he was supposed to. If, if we were to see him in the Selección, that's that's the kind of effort I want him bringing to the match. Absolutely. Uh, as we move over to Valera himself, uh, his form has seemingly turned around in, in recent weeks. Is it simply down to him earning a run of games, do you think, Renato? Or is there something more to it? I think it has to do with the fact that that possibly Valera knows that Copa America is around the corner and I'm pretty sure that he was even in the provisional squad yes. of Ricardo Gareca. So I think maybe this must have motivated Valera to score some goals. Especially, and I think this is possibly great for him that he got to score two goals against Independiente de Valle and Libertadores, which is such a huge value to his stock, which could definitely bring him the confidence to score more goals in both Liga 1 and maybe in the, against Palmeiras coming up next. So I think there has to be more like something that as a motivator, as something that motivated him, which I say was the call-ups. 
For sure. Um, and on that subject, Viz, um, Valera, a Copa Peru uh, alumni, I might add, uh, he is on that preliminary squad for Copa America. Do you think he has done enough at this point to crack um, really either Peru squad over the next few weeks, but more so that Copa America team? Oof, you know, I think that Valera is the future. You know, I think Valera has a lot ahead of him still where he could become a very important piece of the national team if he continues to progress. But at least right now, this instant, uh, I think that Ormeño and La Padula are above him, right? So if you count Ormeño, La Padula, if you count Ruiz if you count Paolo, he would become, you know, fifth or sixth fiddle. And at that point, uh, I don't think he's going to be, he's going to be making it into the final call-up. That is not to say that maybe Gareca is going to surprise us because after all, I mean, when was the last time that a Peruvian player, home-brand player, uh, scored two goals in Libertadores in one match for a Peruvian team? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of the last time that happened uh, and maybe someone else, uh, another one of the panelists can remind me of that. But honestly, to me, it feels like it's been forever. And so... To me, part of the issue is that he needs to continue to work on his confidence. I think it was a lack of confidence in part. You know, the fact that they put him smack in the middle of an important game for Universitario, you know, when it came to those first Libertadores matches, uh, that really made him doubt himself. And I think he's regaining that confidence, but he could very easily fall back into those uh, insecurities if he finds himself you know, having to perform in the Copa America for Peru out of nowhere. So I think, like I said before with Tabara, let's have him a little patience and, uh, you know, let's uh, let let's let him work on his game a little bit. But I think he, we will, regardless, I think we will see him in the national team very soon. Maybe just before we, we move on, um, Viz, seeing as how you're going to have to talk about politics here in a little bit, um, I'm going to let you nerd out about <laughs> Copa Peru for a little bit here. Um, and, and look, it, it gets its reputation. So it's very polarizing. There are some negatives, many of which we've discussed on this show, but some of the positives are probably related to cases like Valera, who, you know, born in Lambayeque, shout out Chiclayo, and, you know, applied his trade in Copa Peru and has now gotten to this point. Like, what, what does that say about, you know, I, I guess the lower divisions? Because it does get a bad reputation in Peru, but then you have cases like Valera who break through, get to Universitario, and then, you know, are very close to getting to a Copa America with La Selección as well. Yeah, just to recap with Valera, I believe he started at the infamous Pirata, Molinos yes. El Pirata, right? Made his way through for, through uh, Deportivo Garcilaso, uh, 2019, uh, the time that they uh, eliminated my beloved uh, Spora Ancash in the quarterfinals of the Copa Peru. You know, never forget. Uh, <laughs> hashtag never forget. Uh, but anyways, I so, so the thing is, what we would hope is that we had a good scouting system, right? Because the big clubs can barely look at all the youth in Lima, right? But in an ideal wor world, they would be scouting out in, in the regions, right? They would be scouting out in Iquitos. They would be scouting out in Arequipa. Chincha, very important. Ica, very important, right? They would be scouting up north in Piura. But because they are not, then I think that the Copa Peru at least somewhat fulfills that role. This is not the first time that we see a successful player Right. make the jump from Copa Peru to the national team. And so therefore, I think until we have a better system, you know, the Copa Peru at least fulfills that role, especially because the Copa Peru has very strict rules about what players you can field. And some of those rules means, for example, you have to field at least six or seven players from the region that you represent. You also have to field you know, a certain amount of players under 20 and under 18 on your team if you're to participate in the latter stages, you know, in the national stages of the Copa Peru. So if anything, I think uh, it, it plays a role that is important and that obviously, I mean, 
even uh, you know like Trauco, you know Galese, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Ruidias, all all of them at some point played in the Copa Peru, and so therefore you cannot underestimate the role that that tournament has uh, on on our you know Peruvian uh, soccer system. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, let's just go around the table quickly. Um, do you think Lau does the unthinkable and get into the Sudamericana? Uh, Renato, I'll start with you. Do you think they can do it? I'll give them the hope. I mean, it's the same thing with Sao Paulo and Cristal. I mean, Palmeiras are also playing, are in the final, the Sao Paulo State League final with Sao Paulo. And I'm pretty sure that since they're already qualified in the round of 16, they'll possibly play a B, a B or even a C squad against La U, but maybe it'll work in La U's advantage and they could possibly get the result they need. So I want to give hope to them. Kevin, what say you? You've doubted them before. Are you going to maybe do the reverse jinx and doubt them again and hope they get through? I'm, I'm going to stick with, with what I've been saying. I, I think they've gone as far as they can. Hey, if they If they surprise me, it is what it is, but it's it's a tall it's a tall order. It's a very tall order. I I could see them. They've overperformed to get this far. So I I'm I'm gonna just cut it there. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's fine. That's fine. Maybe that's what they need. They need an Aliancista doubting them, and then they'll you know get it over the line. Who knows? Um, Viz, what do you think? Can Lau pull this off? No, come on. It's Palmeiras. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest here. <laughs> you know, no hope. <laughs> no, no, I have no hope. I have no hope. For is it because them, of the force? <laughs> I don't know. I'm. This is gonna make Brian Burry real mad, but I, I think this is as, <laughs> as far as Universitario can make it, right? Uh, and I hope that uh, that the coach gets sacked too. Honestly, I'm tired of that guy. So, so this might be a fresh start. You know, fresh start. Get eliminated from all international competition and focus on on the next phase of Liga Uno. That's it. There you go. All right. We'll move over to uh, more somber tones in the Sudamericana, which is to say Atletico Paranaense 1, Melgar 0. That was quite the, uh, I I guess, just an anticlimactic ending after what was an amazing first three games. They are now on the brink of elimination from the Sudamericana is Melgar. Renato, did they run out of gas? Did they just come up against a more motivated Atletico this time? Like, wh- what was it? I think it was Nestor Lorenzo's fault. I mean, I was watching the whole game, and honestly, this Parinayense side was not good. It was just... I felt like it was no different than, let's just say, maybe a Sporting Cristal-level team. I think the problem was that Lorenzo had way too much faith in his starting lineup, and when things weren't looking good, and things like need to be changed. He waited, of course, till the 85th minute to make changes, and that's where like you think the changes should have happened sooner than later. But it just happened way too late. And I think Lorenzo just unfortunately screwed over screwed over Melgar, unfortunately. Well, maybe if we look at more positive things, um, which player or players, if you want to highlight multiple guys, boosted his or their stock the most? during the group stage. Uh, Kevin, who, who do you think uh, made the best impression? Oof. Um, I'm going to give it to, to Reina, but I, I wanted to put just like a quick note there on for Melgar. Um, I don't think it was all Nestor Lorenzo's fault, to be honest. They played that game without Arias. They played it without Luhan. I'm not sure if it was health reasons or, or injuries, Quevedo wasn't there. They let go of Bustos, who I wasn't a big fan of, but I would have thought they'd do that after the Sudamericana. So there was a bunch of of U20 on the bench. So I can kind of understand Nestor Lorenzo not wanting to to throw them into the deep end in a must-win match. That's just my two cents. Uh, Based on what you've seen from Melgar, who, who do you see as having come out of this with a better reputation than when the competition started? I, I think I would agree for sure, Reina. I mean, Reina has, uh, has been pretty good. I think that uh, we, we, we can't underestimate that. I think Luis, uh, Luis Iberico uh, also showing, showing us what he's got 
slowly, you know, um, I mean, he's always been promising ever since uh, those uh, under 15 days, but uh, it's good to see him mature for sure. And also, we can't underestimate Casada. I think he's shown that he's still worthy of the national team and that he's, he's performed, you know, fairly well. You know, I, I mean, obviously, we always have Galese, but but Casada is always a, a solid second choice. For sure. Um, and then a brief mention for Sport One Cayo and Corinthians. Um, they lost 5 0. Did Juan Cayo yet another loss? Um, and the next game, I mean, based on how the previous matches have gone, we can probably guess how it's going to finish for them. Just a really disappointing campaign on there and in the Sudamericana. Viz, it is time for the political corner on this show. Uh, it's been gone for a while. It is back. We'll start with Copa America briefly because... Um, Colombia did come to their senses, as did Comebol, and they're not going to be a co-host for the Copa América this summer. But Argentina is in a bit of trouble themselves with the virus. In fact, they're going into a full-scale lockdown. So, I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, we're, we're less than a month away. This is just classic Comebol to leave this to the very last minute. Man, this is this is a mess. This is a mess. I think honestly, the solution would be that we move all of this to the United States. I mean, the the United States uh, at a federal level no longer requires masks if you're vaccinated. I mean, I attended an MLS match just last week. I uh, got to watch uh, Real Salt Lake. Uh, you know, on in the stadium and with a, you know about a few thousand of my closest friends. But because of the ongoing feud between U.S. soccer and Comebol, unfortunately, it looks like that's not going to happen. Uh, other than that, uh, man, I was I, I would say what like Peru should throw its the you know their hat in the ring their they name their name the hat. But uh, honestly, things are not looking very good there. Uh, maybe Brazil all over again. You know, yeah. I think maybe that would be a pretty solid option. Uh, they got the stadiums, right? Uh, because COVID, other than that, but... <laughs> ah, well, true. I mean, yeah, but that's the thing because all of South America, is, it's pretty it's much true. in the same boat. Yeah, like, what else are you going to do? And like, heaven forbid that we take it to Spain. You know, I, that's the last <laughs> thing I want to see. So, you know, I think uh, if anything, Brazil maybe could step up because, I mean, who else is going to do it? Like Ecuador or Paraguay, you know? Yeah. Chile, I don't think it's in any condition to do to host a tournament right now. I don't know. It's uh, it's quite a uh, quite a mess. But I I would personally say that Comebol and U.S. Soccer figure it out, uh, settle their differences, and just bring the, the tournament over here. We can be ready asap. Yeah. yeah, and plus fans would probably be able to go in most places, which I'm sure is an added benefit. Um, I'm rubbing my hands together indicating a money so you know uh Kobe Bowl will love that as i'm sure u.s soccer would too um moving over to peruvians abroad but sticking to a political theme luisa vincula he landed in hot water after participating in a ponte la camiseta peru um which is put on your shirts peru just loosely translated political video that um several players have participated in now, Viz, to those who maybe weren't paying too much attention to this or who just maybe haven't been keeping up with the political situation in Peru, what exactly is this campaign? What is it about? And, and why have the players spoken up politically recently when they never used to, even as recently as a year and a half, two years ago? Well, it's a little bit complicated, but pretty much... Unless you know, if you look at the if if you look at the short clips that the players filmed, first of all, they were not doing it under the auspice of the you know Peruvian FA. This was supposed to be an independent effort from their part. Second, you know, they, everybody has the right to free speech. Everybody has the right to political participation. So yes, they as human beings as Peruvians with a DNA in hand, of course, can have a political opinion. That's fine. But the interesting thing is to me is that this was all a coordinated effort from what seemed to me like some political action committee, some uh, body that was above them that coordinated this effort. Why? Because the things that they said 
to the untrained eye probably seemed like just you know encouraging people to vote which is very innocuous and very good you know for democracy but if you actually pay attention to what they were saying they were actually doing propaganda for you know keiko fujimori and her party because they were repeating her slogan they were talking you know using the same talking points that she's been using during her campaign uh, so they actually uh you know were endorsing a particular candidate in a particular election and like i said they have a right to their opinion and i think last november we saw an organic effort from the team members who sided with the people that were out protesting in the streets right and i think that that's completely fine but when you see a sort of political propaganda machine forming around the national team players you can't help but raise an eyebrow right and Unfortunately, all of this, in my humble opinion, is based out of fear because Keiko Fujimori has managed to build a campaign against what she calls far right, you know, or far left communism, that the other candidate, Pedro Castillo, will be a dictator and the next Hugo Chavez of, of South America. I mean, one can agree or disagree, but I think that, that that's the message that has been sent to the players. And why, which is why they have been convinced to come out with this urgent message, right? And so, I don't know. I personally think it's a little dirty uh, that that they would they would build this whole you know propaganda machine against people that represent Peru, no matter what, you know, uh, people that have represented every race, every political ideology, every idea, every you know, ethnic background in the country until now, and all of a sudden to come out with these very pointed attacks and political agendas. Uh, it's very strange. It's very strange, but, uh, you know, we live in a democracy still, and I guess uh, we need to respect their, their opinions, you know, even if we agree or disagree. Yeah, it, it is just a bit of a shame that, I guess players are being used to push political agendas in any situation because, I mean, they are some of the most popular people in their countries, right? It, you know, go anywhere and, and you get them to say a slogan and boom, like it convinces a lot of people to do something or another, which is, you know, a, a bit sad, but that is the situation we're in now in a pandemic. Um, maybe switching to Advincula's on-the-pitch matters. He's been linked to Boca Juniors recently and even apparently spoke with Juan Roman Riquelme as the club is willing to pay 2 million euros for Advincula's services. Um, Kevin, do you think the move will happen for Advincula? I think he would He would certainly be tempted by the offer. He, uh, he had a very good run in Argentina previously when he was at annuals. But he, he has been in Spain long enough to get his his citizenship or his eu passport and if that's the case i don't see him going back anytime soon not when he can secure his future in quotation marks yeah very true that does come into play here getting an eu passport um over in the netherlands um fc emmen they couldn't pull off the great escape they lost their relegation playoff to nac on penalties which now brings the Peruvians' future into question. Two in particular. Um, one of them is obviously Sergio Peña. And we heard from Diego Montalban last week that it's pretty much guaranteed he's going to leave in the summer. So the question now is, where is he going to land? Um, Renato, where do you see Sergio Peña signing in the summer? So first, before I mention this, I just feel bad for Sergio Peña right now because... Unfortunately, he he missed the penalty during the penalty shootout, and it must have been such a hard moment for him because he was a key player for Emin during their comeback, and to see him miss that must hurt a lot. But I do think the guy gave it his all for the club, and I hope that Emin can some at some point come back to the heirs of his city. Now, as for where Banya will go next. So I've mentioned this before, but I remember that last year he was linked with a move to Villarreal. I imagine maybe Unai Emery could be wanting a number 
eight or number 10 at some point for the summer transfer window, especially if they qualify for European competition. But I, I was also having a discussion with my friend that maybe Pena should try to consider going for me for Scotland. Like he suggested maybe Celtic or Rangers as an option. Possible. Um, I mean, Spain would make a lot of sense just given his history there and the language and all that. But yeah, going to Scotland wouldn't be terrible for sure. Now, in terms of Miguel Araujo, Viz, where would you like to see Araujo land? He's been linked to a couple different European leagues, but if you had to choose, where would you want him to go? He could even stay in, in the Netherlands. I think he's had interest there too. Well, I think for selfish reasons, I think it would be great to go see him go to Spain. You know, I think we're starting to to kind of uh, build ourselves a name and a reputation in Spain. I think that Tapia has really helped that. I think that also Avincula has really helped her reputation abroad. So, you know, we had the case of Ruiz Diaz, who was kind of the, the trailblazer in Mexico that then, you know, uh, was kind of the catalyst that made it so that other Peruvians started migrating to Mexico. I think we could see something similar in Peru. Why not? You know, I think uh, he's had a pretty decent season at Anjo, and I think he's shown himself to be quite a quite a leader. You know, for the team, he seems to be someone that uh, really organizes the rest of the team and really seems to be talking to his to his fellow players and being in constant communication with them. So those leadership skills could also boost his his stock a little bit. You know, I think. Until now, he was mostly known for being somewhat of a quiet guy, but uh, it would be interesting to see him see him go to Spain for me. But uh, of course, uh, it all depends, like you said, on on you know what what other clubs are interested and in, uh, you know what he's what his price tag is at the end of the day and, and who can afford him. Kevin Didier La Torre, he signed there in the winter, probably with the Maybe not with the knowledge um, that, you know, they're absolutely going to go down, but certainly it was a possibility. Um, do, do you think he sticks there and plays with them in the second division where he could probably actually get a, a decent run of minutes or or do you see him leaving as well? Absolutely. I, I see La Torre staying with Emin uh, going down to second division and fighting for a spot. The the president had, had actually spoken about La Torre and said, that he would be getting, you know, that he would get minutes during the the end of this season, which I think he maybe got one or two. It wasn't it wasn't a lot, but that he would definitely be an option for next season, where they would expect more from him to fight for a spot. I think it, it's it it's worth his while to to stick there, get the the formation, try to make a name for himself, and and he's very young. He's only like eighteen, nineteen. A year in second division might do him might do him some good, and and if if Emin doesn't jump up, maybe he moves to a another side in the Netherlands the season after. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I also believe Renato Tapia when he went first went to the Netherlands, I think he played in the second division as well. Yeah, it might have been for the reserves. Um, where did he start at Twente? So I, I think it was yes. in the reserves. Uh, so yeah, he did start in the second division technically. Um, so yeah, La Torre wouldn't be the, the first Peruvian to do that. Uh, pretty good starting point, especially for a teenager. In Italy, Gianluca Lapadula, um, he has finished the season on a high, unlike Benevento, who were officially relegated over the weekend. But Lapadula himself finished with four goals in his last six or seven games. Now, with Paolo likely in the fold, how does this affect the pecking order at striker for you, Renato? Um, I know we talked about it earlier, but um, do, do you think that Lapadula, given Paolo's lack of match fitness, is still the favorite to start? Oh, for sure. I mean, I know it's unfortunate Benevento got like relegated, but I'd say that Lapadula was one of their better performers. And at least it shows that Lapadula can still score goals in City A. Do I think he deserves to be the starter? He's definitely on top. I say like his, it's either going to be a big like competition between him or Menu, but Lapadula has just got to know the team recently, and I think they, I do think he has the edge. Um, now, do I think he'll take over from Paolo? I mean, I, I mentioned before, Paolo's like he just 
got back from an injury, and he's, I'm not sure at this point if he's still 100%, but I think we got to put our fate on up at this point. Now, looking at Mexico right now, as we're recording, Santiago Ormeños Puebla is participating in their Liguilla semifinal against Santos. They are down 2-0 as we speak, but it looks like Ormeños' transfer to León is happening. So, Kevin, do you like that move for Ormeño now that it seems to be a done deal? I think Ormeño's growth in the last two um, seasons in Mexico, that's like one year, has been pretty pretty large. You know, he's he's gotten enough goals to have been uh, considered in the Golden Boot race in both seasons. I think he's done as much as he can for this, this uh, Puebla side. And he's ready for, you know, a, a bigger side. The the guy is, is most likely going to do his career in Liga MX. Just because, you know, he, he likes the the league. That's, that's where he's been. That's where all his connections are. So I, I can certainly see him making the jump to a bigger team like Leon, who's previously champions. And, you know, possibly taking off from there, from taking his, his form, his current form, and bringing it to Leon to to possibly fight for another title. Um, also in action was Cruz Azul, uh, led by coach Juan Reynoso. Yoshimar Yotun's kind of on the periphery these days, so kind of just depends on the game. But um, they still have to get past Pachuca. Given the season they've had, though, so far, Viz, um, what have you made of the job Reynoso has done, and do you think he could be a future candidate for the national team uh, after Gareca leaves? Well, Reynoso is a madman, but there is a method to his madness. That that first leg in the quarterfinals where he sat down some of his key players and risked it all, uh, he, in the end, gambled and won during the second leg of the quarterfinals. And I think he showed us all that he knows what he's doing. And, you know, to, to me, that the, the only issue is that those rotations, those sudden changes that, man, are always just tricky to pull off, where you do become the bad guy if things don't go according to plan. You know, uh, I think you can see that an exa- very clear example of that in in Mexico uh, during their 2018 campaign. They were at the brink of uh, of being, you know, eliminated. You know, almost till the very end, uh, but in the end, uh, it pays off. So Reynoso likes to play on the edge like that. To me, it seems like, but we can't like deny that this has been a brilliant campaign for him at Cruz Azul. I think we're all very proud of him and of the work that he's been doing in Mexico. And why not think of him as a replacement uh, for Gareca? Gareca himself, you know, talked about how he prepared himself for a national team role by going into a big team in Brazil, right? Even though he didn't have a great experience at Palmeiras, it showed him and it taught him a lot for what he felt he needed to then take on an even bigger challenge like a national team. And I think that Reynoso, in a way, I think is doing the same thing with, with uh, Cruz Azul. I, I can't help but think that in the back of his mind, he knows that he's somewhat preparing himself for for a possible opportunity with the national team. And uh, I think to solidify his chances... We would just need to see him win the darn, you know, Yankees tournament for once. Goodness gracious, Cruz Azul needs to get rid of all of those, you know, many, many years of bad luck for once and for all. And if he's able to pull that off, uh, and maybe if he's able to show some consistency going on, uh, you know, in the next few months, then he could be for sure a serious contender for, for a Gareca replacement. I would agree with you for sure. Um, That is going to do it for us this week. Thank you everybody for listening to what has been a jam-packed episode. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to come in the, in the coming weeks and months as tournaments ramp up, qualifiers are going to be played and and whatnot should be a very fun and exciting time. Um, Renato, what is your Twitter and your final thoughts for the week? 
My Twitter handle is Renato underscore Sun. If I have to say something, um, I just want to say that to the FCM supporters that it's just a shame that unfortunately the club was relegated in such a way like this. But I also want to thank the club as well for like giving the Peruvian like trusting so much in the Peruvian talent. It's not every day that we get to see a European club like that really appreciates our talent a lot. And I hope hope at some point they can come back to the heirs of Izzy and they can do that again. Absolutely. Uh, Kevin, what is your Twitter and your final thought for the week? You guys can find me at kmontelvon7. And my shout-out is, shout is to Gareca, who has to finalize his list tonight with all the shenanigans happening around him. Totally, totally. Uh, Viz, what is your Twitter handle and your final thought? And also, thank you for your appearance tonight. It came in very handy and very timely. Yeah, no problem. Uh, my Twitter is at V-I-Z underscore F-C. Very happy to be back. Hopefully, I'll be here on the podcast for the next uh, few months. Now that, you know, summer is here and, and we have plenty of soccer ahead of us, national team, Liga Uno, and why not mention it? Liga Dos is yes. back. It's back. Uh, it's very happy. We had a we had a great, you know, Carlos Estein, Yacuabamba classic 3-2 for Carlos Estein. You know, we had Juan Audich that won against their, you know, crosstown rivals in Pirata mm-hmm. uh, 2-0. And honestly, if if anything, shame on 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 the on the channel that has the rights for for not broadcasting those games live. Honestly, they are not broadcasting them live, and they're not letting radio or other radio or TV stations broadcast the games either, which is really unfortunate. Because honestly, last last season was great. You know, uh, this season would have been great with Alianza Lima or not, and. Uh, Hopefully, we'll just get to see more of those matches on TV and uh, get to enjoy Liga Dos for sure. Definitely. Well, thank you, everybody. This is the Peruvian Waltz team, and we are signing off.